now for the Legal Mumble Jumbo. This podcast is based entirely on Frank's own personal opinions and is in no way, shape, or form the opinions or representation of any fire, police, EMS organizations, which he is currently or previously associated or affiliated with. The views expressed in this podcast are entirely his own and do not reflect the views of any aforementioned organization. Please note, the names may have been changed to protect the innocent, the stupid, and the brain dead. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Thank you for joining my podcast for yet another edition of Break the Lunatic Rants. Live from the wonderfully bodacious and beautifully spacious Fuck If I Know Studios located in wonderful downtown Hamlin, Pennsylvania, it is yet another informative, educational, argumentative, debatable, and downright boring edition of Frank the Lunatic Rants. Greetings and salutations, everyone. I am, as always, your congenial host, Frank the Lunatic here, with another delightful edition of me ranting and raving, pissing and moaning about topics you probably don't give a shit about. So sit back and ask yourself this. Why the hell am I listening to this guy anyway? And being that you decided to join me today and get bored right out of your mind, let's get right to it. Topic of discussion today is the truth behind the wolf and the three pigs. We all know that the media, the entertainment industry, and our colleagues have a liberal bias, but what you might not know is exactly how long this has been going on. You know, it actually affected how some of our most beloved fairy tales were told. You see, back in the 1700s, I don't want to bore you more than you already are, because what a history lesson, so why don't I just tell you the truth behind the wolf and the three pigs. Once upon a time, in a land far away, there lived a hard-working conservative wolf by the name of Clint Eastwolf. Now, Clint Eastwolf owned a farm that stretched out as far as the eye can see, and on that farm, he had a now vast array of livestock, which he raised and butchered and sold to the people of the town of Middleville. Middleville was a town where most of the people lived. It was a pleasant little community where the residents lived their lives not too far to the right, not too far to the left. It was a community filled with a diverse assortment of people, most of whom depended upon Clint for their meats, produce, eggs, milk, and vegetables. Now East Wolf, or as anyone referred to him as just Wolf, made a good living by charging fair prices and giving his customers good products and good services. Wolf was an immigrant from another country. He had never married. It's not that he was a loner, though some did refer to him as a lone wolf. It was just that he never found the right woman to settle down with. So the wolf dedicated all his energy, time, and money to improving and making his farm the best, the biggest, and the most productive it could possibly be. Wolf was constantly buying more land, which he improved and cultivated. That way, he could increase his production and sell his products at a lower price, which was good 
for the people of Middleville. Life was good, Wolf was happy, and the townspeople were happy. That was until the day a group of pigs arrived, led by three pigs. Now these were no ordinary pigs. These were activist pigs who were newly graduated from the University of Piggly Wiggly. To say that these pigs were liberal would be an understatement, for they had been taught by the most liberal professors in the most liberal college, in the most liberal community, in the most liberal state of its time. Yes, indeed, these were liberal piggies filled with so much liberalism that one could actually say they reeked of it. Why, they were members of just about every liberal caucus and organization you can imagine. They were members of PETA, Greenpeace, ACLU, NOW, NIA, PAF, Pigs Against Furs, PAG, Pigs Against Guns, PATIT, Pigs Against the Inhumane Treatment of Chickens, Ducks, Cows, Horses, etc. The list was endless, and of course, each one of these liberal piggies were card-carrying, money-supporting members of PBS, the Pigs Broadcasting Station. Now that is liberal. Having never worked a day in their life and having all their college tuition paid for by the real hard-working people, these liberal pigs really didn't have a clue about how the real world worked. But in true form of liberalism, that didn't stop them from trying to change the world and pursuing their flawed, idealistic liberalism. With their arrival in the community of Middleville, the liberal pigs found themselves in a quandary. There they were, highly educated know-it-alls, with the wisdom of ages upon them, and yet they didn't have a penny between them. They found themselves needing shelter, food, and most of all, they needed a flock of followers who they could educate, brainwash, enlighten, brainwash, and instruct, brainwash, about the great and wonderful world of liberalism. However, first things first, they needed a roof over their head and food. Now, if an average person found themselves in this situation, they would do what any decent person would do. That is, find work, get a job, scrimp and save, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. You get the idea. But not these liberal pigs. They did what liberals do best. They stole from some hard-working individual and gave to themselves. Unfortunately, unfortunately for Clint East Wolf, it was he from whom they stole. Without ever thinking of asking the wolf's permission, the liberal piggies became squatters on the wolf's property. One of the leaders of these liberal piggies, who went by the name of Jerry Pigler, stole hay from the wolf's field and built a nice house of straw on the wolf's property. The second leader of these liberal piggies, Chuck Swineiner, stole timber that Clint Eastwolf had cut down to clear a new field. Now, Chuck Swineiner would never have cut down the trees himself, for this pig was an environmentalist. He felt trees were part of nature and were to be revered and worshipped by all. However, Chuck Swineiner determined that it would be a greater sin if he let them go to waste. He felt that the wolf should be punished for cutting the trees, so he would not allow the wolf to use them. However, Chuck Swineiner decided that if he let the wood go to waste, that too would be a sin against nature, thereby justifying to himself his right to use the said lumber to build himself a house of sticks. Typical liberal pig logic. As for the main leader of the liberal piggies, Nancy Picklosi, she stole mortar and the best stones from the wolf's shed and fields and built herself the biggest and most luxurious house of all the liberal piggies, a house of stone, and had two of the biggest coolers filled with the most exotic ice cream one could ever imagine. After each of their homes were built, these three liberal piggies 
and their liberal follower piggies proceeded to raid Clint Eastwood's orchards, stripping his fruit trees clean and stockpiling the food in their homes for themselves. With roofs over their heads and food in their stomachs, Nancy Piglosi, Chuck Swininer, and Jerry Pigler, with their fellow piggies, marched into the town of Middleville and at once began to spread their liberalism amongst the masses. But in order for liberalism to work properly, the liberal piggies had to invent someone for their followers to envy, despise, and to feel that they were being oppressed by. What they needed to do was to create a class envy that made the people of Middleville believe that someone among them was not paying their fair share, thereby depriving the townspeople of what was owed to them. And once again, unfortunately for East Wolf, the three liberal piggies chose him. After all, he was the perfect target. He was a successful businessman. He had possessions, property, and wealth. And best of all, he was a conservative, making him the ideal mark for the three liberal piggies. So the three liberal piggies, with all their followers, named Angpigula, went from house to house and convinced the townspeople that they needed to meet them for a very important meeting at the town square that night or else. After all, the three piggies said if the townspeople didn't show up, they couldn't control what Anpigua would do. That evening, the three liberal piggies held a rally of biblical proportions with their fellow pigs and townspeople who they had intimidated to be there, gathering around. The three liberal piggies began their speeches, filling the people's minds with thoughts of envy and hatred against poor Clint Eastwolf. Nancy Piglosi, the pig spoke first against Eastwolf, crying out, Why should one person own so much property while you own so little? Is that right? Chick, excuse me, Chuck Swininer spoke the next shouting, why should one person have so much money while you have so little? Is that fair? And finally, Jerry Pigslar screeched out. The wolf sits with a full belly. He gets his food for free while you must pay for yours. That's not how it should be. And then all the liberal little piggies cried out in one voice. The wolf must pay. Too long has he lived off the backs and sweat of hard-working people like yourselves. The wolf must be made to pay for his fair share. It's only right that he gives back since he has taken so much. The pigs were whipping the townspeople into a frenzy. They had the people right where they wanted them. They could have asked for the wolf's head and the townspeople would have gladly given it to them. But they didn't want the wolf's head. What profit was there in that? They wanted the wolf's possessions, his property, his money, and not for any noble cause. They wanted that which the wolf had to give pow themselves power. These were three shrewd liberal pigs. Nancy Piglosi spoke next. This time her voice, her tone, and her demeanor were softer and gentler. Good people of Middleville, allow us to help you. Allow us to make your world fair, filled with more compassion. Allow us to help your children. What we propose is a tax to be placed upon the wolf's profits and the profits of those like him. We, your humble servant, liberal piggies, would like your permission to collect such funds whereby we would then distribute these taxes amongst you, the needy, making your life better. Before any of the townspeople could speak, Nancy the liberal pig continued, Of course, Swinner, Pigler, and myself will have to keep a small percentage of these taxes in order to ensure that they are distributed properly amongst you and the needy, and then with a voice filled with so much sweetness that it would even make a child sick. Nancy the liberal pig added, 
We're only doing this for you and your children with no doubt, excuse me, with no thought of personal gain to ourselves. We just want to help you and your children. Of course, the townspeople fell for it hook, line, and sinker. The liberal piggies were able to accomplish what liberal piggies have done since the dawn of time. They created class envy, where they would steal from both rich and poor alike. Under the guise of trying to make the world fair, stealing that which so many had done to work so hard for. Stealing that which so many have had to work so hard for. The next day when Clint Eastwood entered the town with his wares to sell to the good townspeople, for so he thought, he was met with jeers from folks who cursed him. Wolf, wolf, the townspeople cried. Here comes the big bad wolf. The wolf could not believe his ears. The taunts of the townspeople continued. Hide your women, hide your children, for the wolf is in town. Clint went to each store where he sold his goods, and in each store he was treated with the same disrespect. Oh, they still bought his goods, but they treated him like a common thief. Clint Eastwolf was dismayed. He had done nothing wrong. These were the same people whom he had tried to help throughout the years. When they couldn't pay, he gave them credit. When a family was in need, he sold to them for pennies, which should have cost them hundreds. For East Wolf knew to give a family food for free would make them feel like beggars. However, charging them a few pennies allowed them to keep their dignity. Though there were some in town who felt what was happening to the wolf was not right, they refused to speak to him in plain sight of other members of the community in fear of Impigua, choosing instead to speak to East Wolf in whispers in the privacy of isolation. It was here that the wolf learned about the liberal pigs and their wicked plans. He also found out where the liberal pigs had taken residence. Back to his farm, a sad, dejected, and hurt Clint Eastwolf went feeling isolated, alone and abandoned by those he had helped. Once back at his home, it took Eastwood no time to discover where the three liberal piggies had set up their houses. The wolf came upon the first liberal piggy's house, made of straw, which was stolen from him. He politely knocked, even though this liberal pig was trespassing. Eastwolf still tried to retain his manners. Finding no one home, Clint moved on to the next liberal pig's house, made of wood, which was also stolen from him. Again he knocked, but to no avail. Once again the wolf made his way, this time coming to the third and biggest home of all, which was made from mortar and stone, stolen from him as well. Eastwolf prepared to knock on the front door, but he never got a chance. At once he was assaulted, with the onslaught of name-calling and jeers from all the liberal piggies that were there. East Wolf cried out, Why are you doing this to me? What have I ever done to you? But his questions were unanswered. How can you steal from me, condemn me in front of my friends? But that was all the wolf managed to say. By now the liberal piggies had gotten in Pigua and were resorting to violence. They began throwing the rotten half-eaten apples that they had stolen from the wolf's orchard at East Wolf, along with rocks and sticks. They threatened to go into Middleville and do the same if we East Wolf didn't leave. So Clint turned tail and walked away, and as he did, he heard all the liberal piggies singing and dancing with joy as his plight and embarrassment. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? The big bad wolf? The big bad wolf. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Certainly not us. With that, the wolf's blood began to boil. Why was he being targeted by these liberal pigs? He had done nothing wrong. He had always been good to his neighbors. And anger began to build up inside of him, a hurt-filled rage. With that, Clint Eastwolf turned around. His body began to tense. His muscles began to bulge. A cold, icy stare came upon his face as he called out to the pigs, as only Clint Eastwolf could. Go ahead. 
Make my day. Stopping the dancing pigs in their tracks, an uneasiness crept amongst them, causing them to scurry back into the house of stone. Well, needless to say, Clint didn't take this lying down. In no time at all, the wolf contacted his friends, fellow wolves who happened to be in the same business as Clint Eastwolf. Clint realized that if these liberal piggies were allowed to get away with what they were doing to him, that it would be no, not long before they would do it to his fellow wolves. Clint called for a meeting with his three best friends at his house. It was late that night when they all three arrived. They sat around the dimly lit living room. The wood that flickered and burnt in the fireplace gave an eerie and ominous feel to the room where the four wolves now sat. Clint had just gotten done discussing the situation, and he looked to each of his fellow companions for advice. To his right sat Lone Wolf Norris. Directly in front of Clint was Bruce Willwolf, and to his left sat Kurt Russwolf. All four wolves were at a loss. They were not aggressive by nature. Wolves had lived in peace with their neighbors for centuries, and one by one the four wolves began to think that they would have to succumb to the wickedness of these liberal piggies. There was no hope, all was lost. They would have to accept the taxation and try to adjust their lives accordingly, and in their darkest moment, when there seemed to be no hope and no chance of redemption, the strangest thing happened. In the center of the circle where the wolves were sitting, an eerie glow appeared, small at first, like that of a match being struck in a room depleted of all light. Then the light grew, larger and brighter with each passing moment, until the light engulfed the entire room, causing the wolves to shield their eyes from its intensity. The light expanded outward until it encompassed the entire room, and then, in the twinkle of an eye, it imploded and took the shape of the biggest, meanest, most powerful wolf they've ever seen. Clint, Lone Wolf, Bruce, and Kurt gasped at the apparition that was now standing in front of them. It was a large cloaked creature. His size was enormous, his identity unknown, concealed by the monk-like robe that covered his body. The creature reached up the top of his head and pulled back his hood, revealing his identity to those before him. It was the biggest, baddest, and best-known wolf of all. It was the Maga Wolf. The four wolves did not know what to do when suddenly the big Maga Wolf began to speak. My, pal my fellow Wolfians, I come here before you tonight to reassure you and help you in our fight against these evil liberal piggies. I have come to tell you that it is time for you to use the force. The four wolves looked around at each other with embarrassment. It was Clint who spoke out. Excuse me, old great one. Don't you have the wrong fairy tale? This is the three liberal pigs, not Return of the Jedi. Maga Wolf looked down upon Clint with compassion and a smile, saying, Not that force. And with that, the big Maga Wolf opened his robe. A silver reflection shone forth. Maga Wolf said, This force. The four wolves gasped as the Maga Wolf said, Each of you wolves, I now bestow upon you the Second Amendment. Choose wisely. The wolves smiled, for they saw and understood. But before disappearing, Maga Wolf called all four wolves in closer and whispered the plan of attack. And when he was done, he smiled, nodded and vaporized into a mist of red, white, and blue smoke. It was a new morning. The sun was shining, the sky was blue, and Jerry Pigler knew that they were fresh lambs to lead to liberalism. Feeling quite superior to those around him, he prepared for his day. With the brainwashing of Middleville and the pig's victory over the wolf, Jerry the pig went to the wolf's orchard and harvested what he now considered his rightfully his. 
Taking all that he can carry, he made his way back to his house of straw. Though this should have been a time of great celebration for him and his fellow liberal pigs, Jerry couldn't shake the paranoid feeling that he was being watched. He quickened his pace back to his straw house. He was almost there, almost feeling secure, when he heard footsteps behind him. The startled pig turned around and was aghast at what he saw. Four wolves armed to the hilt with guns, rounds of ammunition, grenades, and flamethrowers strapped securely to every part of their huge muscular bodies. The sight of these four menacing figures slowly swaggering towards him was more than the liberal piggy could take. He dropped his apples at the same time soiling himself as he squealed, You can huff, you can puff, but you'll never blow my house in, you fascist wolves. It was lone Wolf Norris who walked towards him slowly. As his three friends stood in the background, his eyes squinted, his teeth clenched, his jaw locked, and asked Clint, Do you mind if I borrow a line from you? To which Clint replied, Go right ahead. So Lone Wolf looked at Jerry and said, Do you feel lucky, pig? Well, do you? Jerry Pigler was speechless, which was an accomplishment in itself. He was squealing as he started to run, Wee, 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 all the way home to his little storehouse. But that was all the Lone Wolf needed. Pulling out his huge twin forty-fives, Lone Wolf Norris took aim, snarling as he did. It's sausage-making time. Gunshots rang out. This was one liberal piggy that didn't make it wee-wee-wee all the way home. Chuck Swindler sat in the front of his stick house as he dreamed about what he was going to do with all his wealth and power. He thought of the renovations he would make in Clint Eastwood's home, Eastwolf's home, after the wolf was evicted because he could no longer pay the exorbitant taxes that they would levy against him. But his dream was rudely interrupted by the approach of four big bad wolves. After a couple of attempts, the fat liberal piggy managed to get himself up off the ground and run squealing to his house of sticks. It was Bruce Wilwolf's turn. Slowly he made his way to the front door, cautiously looking from side to side as he did, surveying the terrain. He was holding two fully automatic AR-15s, each equipped with a hundred round capacity drum magazines, one in each hand. Let me in, let me in, liberal piggy. Bruce quipped, with a smile on his face. The scared and shaken piggy from within replied, Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin, you conservative. Beep, 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 gun toting, beep, right wing, beep. You can huff and you can puff, but you'll never blow my house in. Bruce Wiltwolf looked down at the ground, smiling and shook his head. Stepping back slowly, he raised his weapons and said, Whatever, have it your way. yippee ki mother piggy. With that, Bruce let bullets fly. He wasn't interested in blowing the house down. He was content with blowing it away. Sticks, stones, and pork flew through the air. When all was done, Bruce was walking down to his fellow compadres. He smiled and said, That's one liberal pig that all the king's horses and all the king's men will never be able to put back together again. Nancy Piglosi, who was perhaps the shrewdest and most evil of them all, saw the smoldering ruins of her two fellow piggies' homes and saw the writing on the wall. Barricading herself in her home, she felt secure that nothing they had could penetrate her fortress. After all, she was Nancy Piglosi, heir to the throne, considered by some to be the wisest and smartest pig throughout the land. Nobody could ever take her down, but then again, she had never messed with the likes of Clint Eastwolf. The moment of truth had arrived. The four now stood in front of the house made of stone. Clint started to walk forward, 
separating himself from the group. It was then that Bruce Wilwolf looked over at Kurt Russwolf and asked, Hey there, are only three liberal pigs and four of us? Why are you here? Kurt Russwolf slowly turned his head and looked Bruce and Clint over from head to toe and growled, I'm here to make you look good. Bruce nodded and turned his attention back to Clint. Clint had now made his way to ten feet in front of the house made of stone. Eastwolf called out, Liberal piggy, liberal piggy, let me in, let me in. Nancy the pig's response was not quite storybook-like. She gave Clint the one-finger salute and then squealed out, Beep! Off! Clint smiled. He reached down to his side, grabbed his weapon, and holstered, hoisted it up upon his shoulder. It was a rocket launcher. He snarled as he let the missile fly. Okay, okay, now. That's how it really happened. The liberal pigs had invaded the wolf's property, stole from him, tried to ruin his reputation, take his freedom, take his livelihood, leaving the wolf no choice but to do what had to be done. Well, once word got around liberal pig circles about what was happening and what had happened, the liberal pigs started to do what liberal pigs do best, and that was to change the facts, change history, make good guys out to be the bad guys, and vice versa, and forget it for the wolf. If anything happened from that point on, they blamed it on the wolf. They started calling him a butcher, which he was. He was a meat butcher. Of course, like most liberals, they left out the fact that the next thing you knew, everybody thought the wolf was going around butchering little children. Nobody was safe from him. There for a while, it became a frenzy. Little Red Riding Hood's grandmother was missing, and the liberals blamed it on the wolf, of course. In reality, she just took off with the woodsman for a little R&R. Peter and the wolf? Hey, that duck, goose, whatever, was just trying to get away from that little annoying Peter who was constantly chasing it, bothering it, and they blamed the wolf for that one too. So from that time on, in every fairy tale or fable, the hard-working, law-abiding, conservative wolf was portrayed as the bad guy and would be for time ever after. As for what happened back in Middleville, it was really quite astounding. It just took a day or so for the townspeople to be free from the liberal piggy spin for them to see the truth clearly, and that they all felt quite sheepish for the way they had treated the wolf. But the wolf was a good person, and to show that there were no hard feelings, he invited the whole community up to his farm, where they all celebrated friendship and freedom with a giant pig roast. And once again, things were good and right, in Middleville. The end. And yes, this was just a story. Just a fable. But the basic story about the destructiveness of liberal leaders and how they try to control our lives remains true to this day. I really don't have anything personal against somebody who's a Democrat. That's your choice. That's your choice under our rights that we have. I have friends who are conservative, I have friends that are liberal, I have friends that are Democrats, I have friends that are Republican, I have friends that have been dependents, I have friends that don't vote. But it breaks my heart to see good people in the process of losing their businesses, their homes, everything they've worked for, not because of the virus, but because liberal lawmakers and governors using the virus as a catalyst that they used for months to shut down our economy for nothing more than political gain. The mandates that we've gone through over the past year and a half don't make much sense at all. The restrictions that they had put originally on bars and restaurants and stores and churches and what we have to wear has no basis 
in keeping us safe, because it's not a liberal's job to keep us safe. Our government tells us that thousands of people can gather as their right to protest, turn to riots, and then destroy and burn and kill. But it's not okay to sit at a bar and have a drink when all these shutdowns were going on. It wasn't okay for too many people to go to a church. Remember last holiday season? Places shut down. You couldn't go to church for Christmas. Even things like mosques and synagogues were shut down. You have to wake up and see what's happening around us. Our liberal leaders believe that the cost of business owners losing their livelihood, their homes, forcing them to foreclosure, destroying the economy, as we all see with inflation going up, is a fair trade to give you the illusion that they're keeping you safe, when in reality, this is just another part of their plan to overthrow things and our way of life, the way we were. Don't be blinded by what's really going on. Don't be silent. Don't be afraid to speak out. Whether you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, part of the Green Party, whatever party you're part of, whether we lean to the left, to the right, stay in the middle, this is our livelihoods and our freedoms that are being destroyed. Do not go quietly into the night. I, my friends, am Frank the Lunatic, and of course, as always, I have approved this message. And for now, my friends, that is all I have to say about that. Ha, ha, ha.